November 1st, 2023. Let's continue in Moren Vuchim. Let's talk this week about a passage which is related to this week's parashat, parashat Vayera. And uh, it's here in Chelek um, Bet, in Perek Membet. It's uh, specifically the very first portion in the Kiriyah this week. I mean, if you want to, it's easiest to look first on the page, on the uh, supplemental sources. In source number one, it's the first eight Pesukim in the parasha. Vayera Elav Adonai Be'elone Mamre Vuhu Yoshev Peta Ha'ohel Kehom Hayom HaKadosh Baruch God appears to him, meaning to Abraham, and Abraham is sitting at the entrance to his tent at the hot time of the day. The Pasuk then describes how Abraham raises his eyes, sees these three people who emerge as angels in the distance, gets up, brings them to his tent and serves them, has a conversation with them, brings the food of Sarah, etc. The question that um, bothered for time immemorial, those who read these Pesukim is, well, what happened to the appearance of God? The first three words in the parasha seems to be cut short with Avraham getting up to going to bring the guests in. It in turn prompted the rabbis in Masechet Bava Metziah, Rashi and the parasha suggested as well, uh, to derive from this a principle of sorts with regards to Kabbalat um, HaShekhinah uh, or of accepting guests to your home, hachnasat orchim, that it's greater to, to a certain extent, accept guests to your home um, than to be mekabel penea than to converse and be involved in a greeting of hakadosh baruch Hu. After all, if God appeared, Avraham then left him in the dust in order to go greet these others, it seems to teach us that sort of lesson. Of course, there's far-reaching lessons ethically and philosophically with regards to the Hachamim's vision in that respect, but Harambam has an altogether different way of dealing with this issue. Whereas for Rashi, it's so to speak, a knock on the door, it's me, God, Avraham saying, hold on a second, let me go tend to the guests. That's how he deals with this difficult transition, God's appearance, and then dealing with the angels. Instead, Harambam will, and we'll read it in just a moment, read this whole passage in an altogether different way. Those first three words are a heading. Vayera Elav Amonai is a heading describing prophecy. Everything that follows in turn is Nevuah. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less. What's the Hechreach? What forced, so to speak, Harambam to suggest so? Well, first and foremost, what we just suggested. But more than that, Harambam will not, he writes it here in Perik Membet, but he had already written it more than once beforehand, will not accept the vision, the appearance of angels in, so to speak, real life. They're only seen and perceived prophetically. Angels, any time and every time they appear in the Torah, I imagine as well, throughout life, will only be in, in dreams, will only be in prophetic visions. No such thing as in waking hours with your eyes actually open, seeing, conversing, dealing with angels. And in turn, Harambam resolves this episode in such a fashion. Pause. This is a prophecy. Where is he? I don't know. He's probably lying in his bed or he's uh, meditating under the tree. And everything that follows is all a nevuah. So let's begin with the words of Harambam where he addresses this. Now, in this Perek Membet, he doesn't only address this, this is the only part we're going to read, he addresses as well the famous scene of Yaakov, Vayeavek Ish Imo, that all is a prophecy as well. 
fascinatingly difficult, uh, certainly in the, uh, uh, the experience as a Jew type of perspective. We don't eat Gid HaNasheh, the, that uh, part of, our, uh, of an animal, sinew of sorts. Uh, why not? Because of that fight of Yaakov with this Ish. But wait a second, it quote-unquote never happened. It happened in a prophecy. Okay, so it's not fully difficult. He was soleal yerecho, he was limping away, but not really, just in his dream. Okay, those are the Harambam type of difficulties, so to speak, that you'll have, and Ramban Nachmani and the supplemental sources will raise them for us. But let's give Harambam a chance to speak. He writes, Kvar hisbarnu, shebemakom bo nizkeret re'iyat malach opiniya bedibur mitzidor. Anytime there's a reference in the Torah, in the Mikra, to sight of an angel or um, turning with speech uh, from an angel to an angel, it's only in a dream or in a prophetic vision. Whether the Torah says explicitly so, or the Navi, or not. Anytime there's reference to an angel, it will be such. There's no such thing as anything otherwise, as we already explained. And if you look in the notes, it says he already said this in Chedek Bet Perik Vav, maybe in Perik Lamedalet at the end, maybe at the end of Perik Mem Aleph. Arambam is steadfast to this principle. Angels are not perceived, seen, talked to, etc. in real time. Know this and very much understand it. No difference as well, says Harambam, whether there's an initial misunderstanding, thinking it's human beings, as in Avraham, or alternatively, you know that it's an angel from the beginning. That point, that line, is where Ramban Nahmani will veer off. He'll make exactly that distinction. Go ahead. To a certain, to a certain extent. There's only one, there's only Moshe who has that. Highest level of level He's in the middle of describing this. If he initially thought he was a human being and ultimately speaking discovered he's a malach, now that won't be the distinction of Ramban. Ramban will distinguish between what they refer to in the text, are they referred to as a malach or as an ish? Okay, anyway, Anytime there's a reference and understanding in the story of the Torah, of the Navi, and so forth, you need to know that the reference to malach is code word. What's the trigger? Nevoah. Mare nevoah. Or a halom ki b'marei nevuah or b'halom shel nevuah. Yes, and Naviro eta el medaber elav. Kefish and Navir, you'll even have some sort of reference point, a vantage point inside of God speaking to you, but only in prophecy. Yeshu roe malach veyeshu shomeat medaber elav ve'no roe mishu medaber. Sometimes there'll be a vision of whatever malach is, and other times there'll just be a hearing. It'll be audible, but nothing. Visual in the prophetic state. Sometimes in the vision, in the in the spectacle, it'll be a, a something, and then only realizing afterwards that it's a malach. That sort of description is one in which there's an initial misunderstanding, thinking it's a person then finding out it's an angel. Shemuel. This next, uh, Shemuel, indeed. Shemuel, indeed, the first prophecy of Shemuel. 
indeed, when he runs to uh, when he runs to Eli, thinking that someone was speaking to him. Be'ikaron gadol ze. It's with this great and grand principle. Nakat ehad hachamim zal yetera mizot gadol migdolehem v'hur bichya hagadol. He cites a midrash, which in turn is citing from the bichya, the important emoraim that who applied this principle to, well, our parasha, Kelapea Katuba Torah, he refers to this, and Harambam is in turn citing from Rebihia, uh, the Pasuk, in this week's parasha, Vayera elav Adonai be'elon emamre, Vayisa ena vayar v'hine shoshana shenitzavim alav, hu hiktim devarim shemashma'utam sha'el hitgalalo. The initial words of the parasha, the first three, seem to describe God's appearance to Avraham. In other words, as we mentioned earlier, for Harambam, those first three words are a heading. They're a heading saying prophecy. And then it's describing what was seen in the prophecy. It's not, so to speak, an occurrence, something that transpired, God appeared to him. No, this is what's about to happen, prophecy. And then a description of what the prophecy was, uh, continues Harambam. He who explained it in such a fashion, who Harambam is signing off on, would explain as well that the words of Avraham, when he says afterwards, When Avraham converses with the angels, my masters, uh, one interpretation, it's the one he's going to be running with. Um, if I found favor in your eyes, please don't leave. So to that is the words of Avraham in a prophetic vision in dialogue, so to speak. And, uh, the, and the, the Midrash explains that he was speaking to the greatest of them. Da parasha zot gamken. Know this segment in the Torah through this lens. This is the secret of secrets. I can't explain to you why he's so excited about that. I don't know why this is the secret of secrets. But I do know that this is an unconventional read to a certain extent of this parasha. And I know further that something, I know it's a principle of Harambam that angels can't be seen, but why is it that he's so steadfast to accepting and understanding that it's almost as if, and I'd like to develop this after we read from Ramban Nachmani a little, it's almost as if this is part of his philosophical direction. And in some way, unless it's just part, you know, a segment, but I wonder if I'd like to bring us in that direction, this dovetails, this enmeshes perfectly with much of what we've seen in Hanamban with regards to his perspective, what it means to, to have avodat Hashem, to grow in terms of spirituality, etc. I said, that's the uh, segment from the Moreh. Uh, Ramban Nahmani, among many others, is uh, very opposed to such a view of Harambam. He too uh, gives a few explanations as to, or descriptions as to what's bothering him, but fundamentally I'd like to suggest they're really, really following their consistent opinions, philosophically speaking, in general. But here's the words of Ramban Nachmani in source number two. He initially cited the words of Harambam in the Moreh, those that which we, which we just read, and then he writes, V'im b'mar'ah, or b'mar'eh rather, lo nirai lav rakarashim ochlim basar, if it was prophetically that he just saw people eating meat, e'chamar v'yera elav Adonai. 
So even though Harambam was very excited about those words, suggesting that those words were the heading, Ramban Nachmani says, no, that's not what it says. It doesn't say this is prophecy from God. It says God appeared to him. There's no appearance of God afterwards. Of course, Harambam would say, this is the appearance of God. He's appearing through angels. In other words, that doesn't bother him, but Ramban Nachmani says, Ramban Nachmani says, how do those words match with what happens afterwards? Why can't they just flow in the Nebuah? Because Vayera Elav Adonai sounds like it's an appearance of, quote, God. Uh, you say Nebuah, as does Harambam. He says, that's not Nebuah. Nebuah could be other things. In Nebuah, I can have an appearance of God. I can have an appearance of angels. Whereas Harambam would say, a little broader, broadly speaking, prophecy. Nothing more, nothing less. Ki hine lo elav Hashem. God didn't appear to him. Lo b'marev, lo machshava, not in his mind, not in any sort of spectacle. And furthermore, and that's really what's disturbing him, he says, you don't find this in other prophecies. Well, it's, it's one thing if every prophecy is preceded with, God appeared to him, and then there's no reference. He says, you don't find this elsewhere. Unfortunately, I'm not proficient enough in all the prophecies, but we'll have to take his word as to what's disturbing him in Harambam's approach. He says, it's just abnormal that you begin with God appeared to him, and then no reference to God's appearance, just a prophecy. This is furthermore, according to Arambam, Sarah never uh, baked any uh, cakes. Mm-hmm. Avraham never uh, slaughtered or roasted and uh, served any meat. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, that solves the rabbinic question always of how was he serving basal behalav. Never happened, it was all in prophecy, right? The gam, it's in the grash, it deals with this. The gam lo Would you know it? It means Sarah also never laughed. So how did he get tzachak get his name? The answer, of course, is that was his name already. His name was at the end of parashat lech lecha when Avraham laughed. What's with the critique of Avraham? Uh, it's not difficult. Uh, excuse me, of Sarah. It's not difficult either. I mean, in other words, you have a prophetic vision. God's speaking to you or, you know, reaching you, so to speak, and saying, your wife is cynical about this. She's not actually accepting of this. Not that she actually physically laughed. That's right. Harambam would answer every one of these questions of Ramban Nachmani by saying, yes, yes. Indeed, and we addressed the Akedah in, a, in an earlier class. The Akedah as well for Hanambam was mostly determined by prophetic inspiration, misunderstandings, etc. But Ramban in this passage will not bring us to the Akedah per se. He will bring us to Sidon, which comes right afterwards. Sure, sure, sure. Um, he says, Here's his biggest issue. It's not that none of that happened. Okay, none of it happened, says Ramban Nachmani, but if none of it happened, then it's all a waste of our time. In other words, what was the significance of telling us all of those details? Now, personally, I don't really understand Ramban Nachmani's question. In other words, whatever is described is describing a connection of Avraham to the world, to people, to God, to vision. And it was, it, it's all description. Her, her laughter is describing that underpinning of her personality and her emotional acceptance or, dis, or non-acceptance, etc. Uh, it's not It's not a waste of time. What, what did God gain in showing him all this? I'm not really certain I understand the question. Why did the Torah describe all this to us? A, and I believe B is, why did, I think this is really the way he's articulating it, 
Why did God convene through prophecy to Avraham by means of um, Hala and Ogot and Ben Bakar, just how he needed power? So again, it, it talks to or it addresses what is prophecy, generally speaking. And is this really a question? Maybe prophecy is experienced in a dreamlike trance where I do envision it and, so to speak, live it as I would in regular life. Okay. He continues, Ramban does. He says, according to Rambam's vision of this sort, you'll have to argue that's what happened with Lot as well in Sidon. And the destruction of Sidon, it was all prophetic. It was angels after all. They never came to his house. He never baked for them the matzot. It was all prophetic vision. Even if Arambam is willing to bring Lot up to the level of prophecy, he suggests, he asks, how could the people of Sedom be prophets? What does that mean? In other words, his reading of it goes like this. The angels are in the home of Lot. Ultimately, there is a difficulty here. Ultimately speaking, Lot does hand over his daughters. We do have nations which the Torah describes, if we're taking it literally, came from those daughters, Moab and Ammon. Now, why did the people, indeed, why did the people surround his house if the angels only appeared to him in a prophetic vision? If we're understanding the surrounding of his house in the literal sense, and in turn handing over his daughters in the literal sense, what were they surrounding about? Because they had the same prophecy or prophetic inspiration as Lot? Uh, you know, it's, it's a difficulty. And if it's all, he suggests further, it doesn't go the way I just said to you, you know, his question was, for, he says, maybe it's all prophetic. Maybe that never happened. You'll have to argue in turn that the entirety, the exit, the destruction, the, the turning over of Sodom is all prophetic. And Lot stayed in stone. There are Pesukim later on in Sefer Devarim. You know, um, and so on and so forth. Now, is that per se a difficulty? Not necessarily, because even if it was just a story that was told, it was a prophecy, it's a way of talking about it. The same, in other words, if, I were to t- if there's a legend out there, and I'm going to refer to that legend to describe how much we do it all the time. I mean, you know, he was as giant as the gingerbread man. Or so I don't, the gingerbread man never existed. Or I don't know, or he fell apart like Humpty Dumpty. Does that suggest that Humpty Dumpty actually exists? Of course not. So, Lehavdil, well, that would be the reference in the Torah as well. Kisdom ba'amorat, even if it never happened. But Ramban Nachmani says, it's hard to believe. He says, maybe Harambam would tell you that these actions actually took place irrespective of the prophecy. In other words, the exit from Sodom, the uh, things that took place, some of them with Avraham maybe as well, uh, irrespective of the prophecy. He says it's just, it doesn't match the Pesukim. You are going to have to start slicing finely, understanding what's in and what's not. 
Again, I'm not 100% certain that Harambam would be all that disturbed by any of these questions. It's very possible Harambam would nod his head at every single one of them. Now, in terms of our emotions and our upbringing, that might be hard to hear. But in terms of intellectually understanding it in such a fashion, it's not crazy. In other words, if the highest connection to God is with our mind, and in turn I'm revealing my true colors in prophecy, so did these things have to physically transpire? Okay, but Harambam doesn't really reveal anything on this. He only told us about the Malachim at the onset of the parasha. Ramban Nachmani jumps on him with regards to the Malachim with Lot. Concludes Ramban Nachmani, Ube'emet, kikom makom shuzkar bakatuv, riyat malach, o dibur malach, ube'mareo v'halom. He says, when the Torah describes a malach, when the Navi talks about an angel, a malach, that is prophetic. Alternatively, in contrast, Aval, the second line, whenever they're described as people, in such a circumstance, including all of those are, yes, angels, but in real time, some sort of involvement, engagement while awake in the real world. That's Ramban Nachmani's disagreement in terms of claims against Tarambam and his counterclaim. He doesn't say awake? No. None of this. None of this. Ramban Nachmani says it's awake. No, Harambam will not say any of this is awake. Now, what underlies, again, just to state it in a sentence then, without the details, which are all very important, Harambam will not accept, cannot, it's unfathomable, not a thought for him that angels are perceived while awake let alone spoken to, it's all prophetic or dream, trance-like state. For Ramban Nachmani, how could you claim that? Seems against Pesukim, and therefore he takes himself in a different direction, distinguishing, accepting that some of them are prophetic when it's described as a malach, but suggesting that when they're described as an ish or a nashim, that is while awake. I wonder, and I'd like to suggest, that Ramban Nachmani and Harambam are very much consistent in their general overarching philosophical approaches with regards to this matter um, in other issues. One that we've addressed and then that we've never talked about is the next two sources. The one that we addressed was many of the classes last year. If you recall, we consistently noticed that whereas Ramban Nahmani could and would attribute essence with regards to Kiddushah to matters, features, objects, places in this world, Harambam would never accept such a notion. For Harambam, what sort of essence is there? The essence is the perception, the understanding of truth, the connectedness intellectually, emotionally to God. Nothing more and nothing less. The sanctity of the land of Israel is inherent only in as much as it allows for us to grow as Jews, as human beings, as Yireh Hashem, as Shomre Torah Mitzvot, define accordingly. The essence of the Mishkan, of the Mikdash, is not the structure, it's rather the engagement with God in whatever ways, primarily in terms of our minds connecting to Him. For Harambam, there's no essence in this world. You're seeking, you're searching a spiritual connection. It needs to be voided or separated from anything physical very much an elitist type of perspective. 
very much a almost ascetic lifestyle and description for Harambam. We're seeking and searching prophecy at all times. For Harambam, sexual encounters are seen as almost fully negative, if you recall. Just do it as necessary. He seemed to describe in some of the chapters we read, including last week with the Birit Milah, curb your appetite in order to just fulfill as necessary. For Ramban Nahmani, it's not so. For Ramban Nahmani, there is, and this is very influenced, I believe, and certainly after him, from a mystical Kabbalistic type of notion that there is essence in this world. And as a result, you know, for example, mitzvot, to talk about it from that angle as well, mitzvot can and will have a metaphysical effect on the physical world. You do a mitzvah, it has reverberations in other uh, spheres, which in turn changes things here. Parambam, no such matter. Parambam, a mitzvah will refine you and open up your mind to connect with God. So it's no wonder then, it seems to me, that Harambam will say prophecy, excuse me, um, angels have to be prophecy. No such thing. You're engaging in, an inter- in, a, in a spiritual endeavor. That's not going to be in the real world. Whereas Ramban Nachmani says, well, sometimes not, but other times, yes. There is such a thing. Go ahead. So, so how would Ramban Nachmani um, address the point that, like, um, where Moshe, you know, when his hands were looked up, and Shnad says, no, that wasn't physical when he looked up to God. The Nahash looked up to God. So if we want to read this as pure Peshat in, in a literal sense, how would he address that? Because it's clear that the Mishnah says, no, this didn't actually happen. So it didn't actually happen there? Maybe I hear there. what you're saying. I mean, again, uh, so in other words, your question is, how would Ramban Nahmani address when the Hachamim yes. purposefully quote, skew the peshat of the pesukim in order to turn it into an intellectual, emotional exercise. For example, hands of Moshe and parashat b'shalach are up and we're winning against Amalek. Certainly sounds like peshat and pesukim. Says the Mishnah Masechet Rosh No, we looked up and we mishabed, we enslaved our souls to God. That was our victory. I don't think Ramban Nachmani will disagree that there are matters of essence that rise above the physical. I mean, he's telling us that even here. There are prophetic visions. There are circumstances where it will play out in the pure spiritual, so to speak, or intellectual. I think, though, at the same time for him, he will not entirely divorce. He won't say our body, whereas Harambam might feel comfortable with what I'm about to say, Ramban Nachmani, I think, would not have it. It's not to say it's an all or nothing. It's to say Harambam, he would be comfortable, I think, with saying our bodies inhibit our minds and our objective is to overcome our bodily drives. Whereas Ramban Nachmani would say something closer to our bodies can and should be vehicles of growing. In other words, for him, it's not that it needs to be, and we're going to interpret everything in the Torah as such, but there is such an angle. To the extent that I'm suggesting further a circumstance which I, and nobody in my mind, can truly explain, but at the very least I can talk about these words and describe to you Harambam's description and Ramban Nahmani's counter-description kind of paint this point further, again, speaking in, in abstract terms, when Harambam talks about this uh, existence, which he refers to, which the rabbis refer to, called Olam Haba. Harambam in Perek Chet of Hilchot Teshubah 
makes very clear. He writes it here. He writes it in one in his Egeret Hayat Ametim. As is in several places, makes very clear. I don't know that he addresses it in the Moret. To my, to the best of my memory, though. Anyway, his words are that this Tova Hasivuna La Sadikim, this goodness which is safeguarded for the righteous. I'm sort of lifelike experience where there's no death attached. Goodness without evil. Okay, interesting, hard to understand words. He continues. There is no body. There is no physical. Listen to his final words. He says, Olam Haba, again, defined accordingly, because I'm only speaking in the abstract, is just like angels. There is nothing physical to it. Because for Harambam, a spiritual construct or a spiritual reality needs to be perforce divorced from physical engagement. Rambam Nahmani is very much opposed. Many are until today, but certainly historically medieval philosophy was split on this matter. Although today, I imagine the majority view when people start talking about whatever Olam Haba is, when they, uh, their mind and heart brings them to talk about it, uh, what they address is, generally speaking, it is a place, and they'll start quoting Haram Bam, all spiritual, etc. Interestingly, historically, that was not the majority view. Ramban Nahmani in his Sha'ar HaGimul, in source number four, describes, again, far from my brain capacity, at least at this point in my um, education, he talks about this Olam Haba being a time after Tehiyat HaMetim, which he reads literally as bodies climbing up from the ground, replanted with souls, and in turn, an ideal existence. A fascinating description, irrespective of whether I and you understand what he's talking about or any of this, we do at the very least get a gleaning from the words of Ramban Nahmani that an ideal time in a spiritual sense can and maybe will be lived in a spiritual, physical symbiosis, in this time during which the two are sharing one another. So to speak, you're not fighting your life in this world to try to transcend. You're rather looking to congeal. You're looking to bring it together, to live with the two together. I was, over the course of some time, impressed with such an approach, or this approach was impressed upon me by the words of Ramhal in several of his Sifarim, in his Derech Hashem, in his Da'at Tevunot. He, with this mystical type of tradition and vantage point, very much stresses this that a life in his mind, it's for that reason when people try to equate this sort of mystical approach of Ramhal and Ramban Nahmani with anything in Harambam, for me they're worlds apart. Again, we addressed it all last year by means of this concept of something that has essence or doesn't, is it actually a reality in this world or is it something that we make through our understanding, through our shibuda da'atenu da'avinu shabashavayim, that Mishnah is that everything, uh, the war with Amalek, is that our whole lives, so to speak, for Harambam as opposed to for Ramban Nahmani? I think it plays out in many other circumstances, mm-hmm. the first of which I suggested tonight is angels. Can angels be in the physical world? Rambam says, absolutely not. Just like Olam Abba. Rambam Nahmani says, on both of them, consistently again, could be. You might have whatever Olam Abba is, fully spiritual. You might alternatively, in some ideal state, have a physicality. 
Arambam would, uh, would, would shake at such a notion. What are you talking about? How could you suggest that? This corporeal type of existence is what I'm trying to get away from. We don't want anything of that sort. Whereas Ramban Nahmani, I believe, very clearly sees it differently. Now, in terms of where this leaves us, in terms of a bottom line, I don't think there is a bottom line. I think it's two very different approaches. I can, nonetheless, make clear, at least in my I'm putting on my anthropology hat or my sociology hat or psychology hat. I can tell you that the approach of Ramban Nachmani, leave a talk of Olam Haba aside, leave even the specifics and particulars of all these conversations aside, I can tell you with regards to people's lives in this world, there is something psychologically beneficial to be said for an approach like Ramban Nachmani. And what I mean by that is if we over emphasize the intellectual of Harambam, of Aristotle, etc., we oftentimes, not because it's not an ideal, but because in the practical sense, to speak to people and to speak to their brains and say to them, channel all your actions to your brain is often difficult. You might say it shouldn't be, but ultimately speaking, for the vast majority, and Harambam would say, so what? But I can nonetheless say, you know, just speaking, again, I'm really only speaking psychologically, not, not philosophically per se, I can say that there is a rewarding and enriching perspective when you read Ramban Nachmani and apply it to even our own lives. You say, within this challenge in the physical sense, within this engagement, within this Shemirat mitzvot, etc., there's something in essence that's taking place. It certainly does provide for people a certain meaning, a certain connectedness. Is that just our connectedness and meaning which we self-constructed? Of course, Harambam would suggest so. Um, but I can, at the very least, just clearly state that I do believe that these two approaches, which we have seen and will see creeping up into pretty much every conversation when they disagree, or disagreement that we'll see, argument between Harambam and the camp of Ramban Nahmani, again surfaces. It's a resurfacing of this Maimonidean vision of, you know, it, you get all about your mind. Uh, we added in soul. You know, again, I'll, you know, I'll throw into it again as well. The very first two chapters of Moreh Nebuchim, very first two chapters describe the fall, quote unquote, of humanity. Whereas they lived a life of muskalot, of emet and sheker, in the Gan, in this life where it was all true or false, black and white, what took them away from it? We've read it, and we read it again. And last week we read it again. What took them away from it? The mishush, the touch. Anything physical is dangerous for Harambam. Aristotle sees it as inhibiting our growth. Because for Harambam, it's the intellectual, and the intellectual only, that will grow us as people, as Jews certainly as well. Whereas Ramban Nahmani, again, a long line of others together with him, inspired by, I'm certain, a, tr uh, uh, a search for truth, but I imagine as well encouraged by the psychological benefits of such an approach, will understand matters and life and existence differently, attributing a certain essence not only to the spiritual, but to the physical as well. I bring you all the way, not till today, but I bring you all the way till 300 years ago, the birth and the growth of Hasidut, very much was inspired, or at the very least encouraged, by such a notion. I read more than once, Immanuel Etkes writes about this in several of his books. I'm sure if you read Baal Shem Tov's writings, or his students' writings, you'll actually find it. I know it, unfortunately, from secondary literature. It talks about avodah shibagashmut. There is a certain avodah 
through our physical. Not that that's, you know, happens to be. No, no, there's a lechat Ideally, you should, through your eating, achieve a closeness to God. Through your engagement in, I don't know, marital relations, find that connection. Whereas Harambam would shudder, Ramban Nahmani and many others set forth that they trailblazed this sort of perspective, which Hasidut, and again, I appeal to the psychological side, picked up in a time, in a day and age where the intellectual was not so successful in terms of growth for the average person. They picked up on a different vantage point. It was very attractive because it was appealing in turn and rewarding to every person intellectually stimulated or not. Go ahead. Is that a position that he takes because maybe ultimately he believes Harambam's position that really the ultimate is with the intellectual, but for the rest of the people, I don't know. I'm, I'm being very honest. I really don't know. I'm, I'm playing with it. I'm playing with it in my words out loud. I'm saying I do think I do think he would write it more clearly if he really had this Harambam perspective. Or, or, or say the other way. We say that Harambam actually agrees with Ramban Nahmani, no, which is why he's no, saying sod mina sodot, meaning this is something that's not... In other words, Sam is suggesting he would only say this to the elite. Which is what Morin Muhim is meant to be. I suppose so. But don't forget what he writes he is in his Haktamat Perusha Mishnayot, yeah. where he talks about why do you have lower intellectual people? And he says it's in order to give friends, because every person needs friends, to the intellects. In other words, the existence of people who can't achieve high intellect is only to serve those who have high Which intellectual capacity. Agreeing that you need to take a more Nachmani approach for the majority ultimately. But ultimately, in other words, that's that, the question. But he's not disagreeing that there's justification to Nachmani's but, approach. He's saying you need to go beyond it if you're capable of doing right. so. Right. You can't say where's the ideal because the, uh, the ideal doesn't work. Ideal. It doesn't work for m- most people. Right. Understood. So the Which, ideal for most people has to be a money approach. Right. You're, you're suggesting so from a, from a top-down, you know, almost playing God here. I was like, hard to know. I'm not sure Harambam would agree with you. But he's saying... So interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, it's an interesting point. Everybody. Sammy's suggestion is the sod of minha sodot is because we can't really share this with everyone. We need to be able to serve two others in a Ramban Nahmani Hasidut, as I call the type of approach on this look, matter. Look at the world. Right, I mean, interesting. Right. All right, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen, Amen.